0: Welcome to another episode of the Guns and Yoga Podcast. Today's guest is Patrick Benson. Patrick is the co-founder and director of War Horses for Veterans, a Kansas City-based nonprofit that brings combat veterans and first responders from across the country together in a safe and peaceful environment. The program is designed to teach the basics of horsemanship and provides opportunities for networking and personal growth. Patrick is a United States Army veteran who served in the infantry from 1998 to 2004. He knows firsthand the emotional and physical strain on our combat veterans. He is a professional horseman and manages a training and breeding program for performance horses. Patrick, thank you for your service and welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thank you very much I appreciate you having me on
0: yeah you you guys are doing some great work in Stillwell Kansas and and I'd love for you to share that with our listeners Uh, I usually start out by asking and particularly when I have people like you who have served whether it be military first responders um, what led you to your path of service did you always know that you you wanted to, to be in the army
1: um, actually it's kind of a funny story. Um, my father served, uh, he was in the medical side of things. He was a doctor in the, the late sixties, early seventies. And then my brother went in and we've had other family members and stuff like that, that served in combat and different branches of army Marines. Um, mine was really, uh, like I didn't want to waste uh, my time and resources in college because at that time in my life, I was probably not going to be the most conducive use of my time um and productivity but i've always i've always appreciated the military I studied it I played army did a lot of that stuff uh, always you know watched all the cool so- all movies and um but made the decision in 1998 you know and uh i was gonna go do something challenge myself uh, everyone asked why i'm going infantry Why? Like, well it looks cool uh, but at the end of the day i, I had an idea what the infantry did uh, but it was challenging it was looking going down that road and that was really this the stepping stone for that, but you know, I guess hidden back deep inside, there was always a tradition and support. Um, you know, probably one of us would eventually go through the United States military, and then my brother, like I said, he did it; he was MI, and so um, I, I was the smartest one, and I went in. <laughs>
0: That's funny. So you were in for about six years, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, I was in for six years. I uh, got in in nineteen ninety eight. Fort Benning, Georgia, and then my first duty station was a uh, bomb holder, Germany, and then the Kosovo campaigns kicked off. And I had not yet ever been to the training exercises or done anything with my unit yet. And we got deployed and was sent to the Kosovo campaigns during those operations when Milosevic was, you know, doing the genocide and uh, ethnic cleansing. And we were part of those units that were down there in the mountains and part of that campaign and that mission. So that was wow. my first, my first actual training and little bit of combat operations that we, and no one, there really were not any conflicts uh, before then, really, since Desert Storm and some of these little operations from the mass scale things. So,
0: and, and so what was that like on, a, on an individual level and those that you were serving alongside with? How did that, how did that impact you all? And, and were you prepared at that time? Did the, did the Army do anything to address um, you're laughing? <laughs>
1: I, I'd only did been I'm, in really to my unit for three, three and a half months. Four and a half months, really, really. And uh, so being prepared for that, I don't think anybody, I mean, you train, you train, you train. But I don't think anybody, um, no one had seen any type of combat, even small little bits or what we have now. Uh, And so I don't think maybe what what to expect. Uh, It was pretty primitive. I mean, we lived in our vehicles out in fields, uh, pretty rough conditions, uh, in the mountains a lot. And then sometimes we get a glimpse of the Air Force living really good. Mm-hmm. um but we you know there's it was an amazing opportunity amazing experience it was my first um combine entrance uh with loading vehicles in an airplane and out of nowhere thing goes black flares go off and you drop out of the sky and you hit the ground um and they don't really warn you for that and so at 19 years old uh, it was it was an interesting experience we t- i remember just we hit the ground we all just staring at each other like what just happened <laughs> wow um and that was like 2 o'clock in the morning, dropped the, drop the ramp, and we got unloaded, and it was pouring down rain. And just, you know, you get to your mission briefs and get rolling again. So I was a private at that time. Um, first time I've been shot at, blown up, uh, saw bo- tons and tons and tons and tons of bombs drop, um, things like that. That was a pretty active air campaign. Uh, it was beautiful to watch from the mountains. So that, that part was cool. But I don't think he, um, the reality of what was happening to those, those people um villages being taken out um uh, literally wiping out parts of civilization um that part really didn't hit till a lot later um there's little things that will trigger you from experiences like that but as a young guy i mean you're just excited to be in an environment that you know with other you know s- soldiers and marines and special operations and i actually ran across a marine uh, that was Force recon at that time he was there at the same location that i was at and we were he came through the program here, and we were just mm-hmm. chatting back and forth. So it was a small world.
0: So when you, after about six years, when you made the decision to to leave, what what was that like for you? Is it something that you expected or did you expect to make it a career?
1: I wanted to stay in and maybe pursue more of the uh, special operations side of things. I started having uh, problems with my knees. I had some surgeries um, and and a lot of it just ended up kind of like hindering the future of that and so quality of my uh physical body i was very active growing up so we ended up making the decision to get out and i honestly was really abrupt you know i'm with my brothers over there i was in charge of a uh, one section of a track basically we were attached to the third acr over in iraq and we i had one vehicle my buddy had the other uh we had like small squad side elements but we're very 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 busy during that time of the year and so yeah, next thing you know you're you know with them you've shared this experience for a year with them almost. and next thing you know you're you're plucked from them and starting a business uh, my transition was very abrupt I mean you're in hearing you're engagements and then next thing you know you're filling out paperwork to become a civilian and you' you know you're you're pretty alone and so but you know it's like anything you, you you set a mission set a focus and you prioritize and execute it and I had no idea what I was going to do I didn't understand business I mean grew up around it but until you start one and do it, you don't really know what that you're doing. You can take, you can study all the books you want. And then I, I remember I was getting ready to do terminal leave. I was going into post and I called my father and talking to legal, to, you know, getting everything ready for the LLC and started PB equestrium.
0: So you had, even though the, the transition of the, 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 excuse me, the decision to leave was abrupt. It sounded like you had a plan.
1: It was, yeah, it was a rough one, but it was a plan. Um, I, you know, I decided I wanted to go into that world and teaching. I like teaching. I like the challenges, anything challenging, hard, uh, task-oriented is really my cup of tea. Uh, the horses were great. Um, I didn't know what they were going to do for me um, from a PTS side of things or from just a service of transition and what you do and what, it can, what the benefits can be until a lot later. But uh, I wrote a letter to a gentleman that was a world-renowned horseman and had a good program after, actually after an engagement in, in Fallujah and sent it home and eventually got to my, my mom. And she sent it to him and he said, keep your head down, I'll have a spot for you when you get home. And so that's kind of how it started.
0: So, so let's go back just a little bit. So while you were still in the military, you had an idea of, of working with horses. And so is that something that you had done during your, when you were a child or what, what was, what was the significance or how did that come about?
1: I always liked them. Um, I was around them. I was, if I was smart, I would have got into them a lot earlier. That's where all the girls are. So it would have been a lot easier. <laughs> would have Been great, um, but I wasn't. I'm a typical guy, uh, sports, motorcycles, um, do things the hard way, and I didn't pay attention. To that. Um, so you know, moving forward with that, I actually uh, would take the guys and we'd work out on ranches. I used to volunteer some stuff out there in Colorado Springs, there's a lot of military in that community, so just to get away from it, I'd go, it just cleared my head. I really enjoyed it a lot, and then I got to work with some horses that are a little challenging. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but it was really. Uh, it was soothing. At the same time, it had this really, really awesome challenge. I had to connect with this animal that doesn't understand a word I'm saying, but I had to figure out a way to communicate with them, show affection, things of that nature. And you know, it was it was a great it was a great opportunity. So when I'm in over an operation, we don't dream about being in uh, you know cubicles and typical business life. You know, you're you're thinking of open spaces sometimes or something of peace. Um, I thought of, you know, the challenges. And I I looked up this gentleman named John Lyons and just says his his program made sense and it could be applied to any discipline, I figured. So and then I just I really jumped in the deep end and you sink or swim and I don't plan on sinking.
0: So the gentleman you reached out to this John Lyons, what what was his program that you wanted to be a part of?
1: He was a clinician and uh, he was kind of like he was in the beginning stages of doing expos and clinician and teaching and uh, certification programs. He was in the early stages of the, of the industry. I did really well. It made sense to me. And so with that, um, I, you know, I just reached out to him. He actually had a brother that was in the recon in Vietnam and he, he was killed in uh, action.
0: Hmm.
1: So that was unfortunate.
0: So when you say, um, just starting out in the industry, are you talking about, I'm going to say a term, and I don't know if it's appropriate, but equine therapy, utilizing horses for, for what we're we're talking about with war horses or was it something different?
1: The word therapy um, is not, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's as taboo as it was before, Uh, but with the program, I had seen equine therapy programs around the country, teaching with them. I've worked with horses that were at equine therapies when I would travel and do clinics and all that fun stuff. But the, you know, what I did notice with it was, is that, you know, the ones that were trying to work with veterans. Um, what you do with children is going to be very different than what you do with a veteran. Um, sure. And with my background and what I was looking for, would I go Would I go to it? So the program design, would I go to this program? Um, how do I get my knuckle dragging, um, door kicking, bar fighting, stubborn, you know, Marines? Uh, you know, <laughs> people like that involved. Uh, because it, we do come from a different background. And so but is there a lot of therapy in there? Do you get your own therapy? Are you, there's a lot of those benefits there. Absolutely. Um, but I don't use, I don't, you don't see therapy used in a lot of my verbiage because, um, if for the longest time I I would never have ever gotten and those participants or those people involved.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So that, that program that you're referring to that you were very interested in shortly after coming out of the military is kind of, it sounds like what laid the groundwork for for everything that you're doing now. Oh yeah,
1: it was a business program. There was nothing therapy about it. I mean, you go in if you think that's. I mean, I well, it was therapeutic for me, but it was very, very intense. Uh, it was hard. I mean, you're starting green horses to finish horses, and then evolving from it. So, um, you know, if if you need a lot of coddling, that was not the program. Um, so, there, there, I've never been to any formal like you have to go get this credential for therapy programs because at the end of the day. Um, you know, I've worked with plenty of people that they're, they're phenomenal individuals, big hearts. They got all the degrees. They, they took a four-week course on horses. Now they're equine therapists. Well, I mean, not really, because it, it takes, it's like anything, it takes years to perfect. And, and horsemanship and, the, and learning the horses, Abraham Lincoln said it kind of best. I think he said, uh, "Was that I can replace a general in two minutes, but it takes it's, it's much more difficult to replace a good horse because of the time mm-hmm. and commitment and what it takes to learn that skill set. And I think, I think honestly, exposing yourself, making yourself vulnerable to what the horses can, you know, bring out. Um, challenging you emotionally, mentally, and physically. Many times you get thrown from a horse, you hit the ground, you have two options. You walk away and quit or you get back on the horse. Um, if you do walk away, that barrier you're creating will get bigger and bigger and much more difficult to climb over. So as scary as it may be, or your anxieties through the roof, um, you have to push through that. and. At the, beauty of it is, is once you do that with that animal, there's a connection and bond. That's amazing. But, you know, it was, it was a training, it was a training and business platform for, um, inspiring, um, trainers and clinicians, stuff like that. And what you would do for the average amateur rider, what it did for me was it opened me up to be incredibly competitive. I am a competitive person. So I took those skill sets and I created my own company.
0: Wow. Wonderful. You you refer to the fact that you um you said the term PTS, referring to yourself. Um, can you talk about how when I mean, were you diagnosed? How do you know you have it and how does all this kind of fit into to the big picture? I didn't
1: know I had it until a lot later and then diagnosed I I waited like typical um military stubborn guys. Uh, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. Uh I don't need to. Someone else needs it more, or that's for other people. This is our job. Um, my buddy, a buddy of mine, got me convinced to uh, go in and do it, and it, obviously I had it, obviously. And then I have some TBI from explosions and stuff like that from IEDs. But uh, what?
0: At what point was this that you went in and decided to to actually, see a doctor?
1: Like three years ago.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> no, just recently,
1: um, okay. but I understood like PTS, what it was um, prior to that. Um, I just honestly, it's just like any entrepreneur, I mean, you just submerge yourself, and then taking time for yourself setting time aside, working on you and working on and taking that time initiative outside your family. Uh, most of us don't do that, especially entrepreneurs uh, or driven um, businessmen and women. So it took a little bit of time. But my PTS, when I noticed it um, back then, we didn't really talk about it much. And there wasn't a lot of um, data and a lot of information going out because everyone's still kind of learned to, new to it. Because remember, I got out in 04. So, um, they, you know, documentation, we didn't document in 03. And we didn't document anything. There was no computers like you get hit, great, don't go to sleep, you got a concussion, get ready for the next mission. Um that's the mentality back then. Now it's way better. Uh doesn't mean you know the documentation is as much more proficient, much more available. But when I I think it was about eight years later, um, almost when I got out, I kinda started having some feelings. Things weren't really clicking and I uh stuff uprooting. So anybody's fami- familiar with trauma or if you Suppress it or push it down. Eventually, at some point, it's unresolved trauma. You don't address it; it's going to come up. And the beauty of it is, is it comes at you like a freight train at the weirdest times. Um, so there's no like easing into it. And the United States government doesn't really work on transition units and preparing you for that type of stuff and those emotions. So you know, one day, I mean, I first time I really discussed anything about combat or war or in my service was actually in a clinic in North Carolina. I got done teaching a horse clinic, a three to four day clinic, and I took these problem horses and they're all explosive and doing all this crazy stuff, and I would fix them, you know, get them them going, you can ride them. This gentleman came up to me and said, hey, you do a great job fixing those horses, but you know, you don't realize they're fixing you. And I looked at him kind of like, that was a weird comment. Mm. And he he goes, you're a vet, and I said, so are you. And we started talking, he was an A-team guy from Special Forces in Vietnam. And we just discussed, and he says, you know, horses saved my life. And I started like, kind of listening to him a little bit, and we were discussing, sharing stories. And I'm like, okay, I'm putting two and two together. And then I met other wonderful guys. Uh, Woody Williams was a World War uh, II Medal of Honor recipient, Marine Corps. He he owned a 30-horse Morgan barn and worked with children for years. And his horses, he says, were everything to him. They, they were his sanity, kept him grounded. They were just important. And I started looking into the history of our founding fathers, generals, commanders out there, they were avid horsemen. And then you look into the business world that are very, there's some amazing individuals that, what do they do to decompress? What do they do to connect? What do they do? What grounds them? A lot of them, there's quite a few of them that ride, ride horses and work horses. And so there, there was a common, common ground there. And I think after that, I started realizing, you know, obviously what I was doing for a living was having a significant impact on my transition, but I still hadn't really discussed and faced it. Um, and so buddies of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, Corey, Willie, he now works here. He's in Kansas city. Now, uh, he, he was in service with me over there in Iraq and, you know, he had a rough, little bit rough transition and he was explaining to me too, is he like, Hey, we have a lot of guys getting out that are just not doing good. You know, you have suicide. You have a lot of these issues. Um, but you, you know, when you come to learn too, is, is as men mostly, but I think women are a little more open to feelings that sometimes it can be, um, will approach it a little quicker. And there's not as much as the tough, tough persona you have to work through, uh, which is kind of great when you work with women um, as long as they feel comfortable and safe and you create a really good, positive environment and you support. That It's amazing what can happen. But with men, if you can create an environment where they can be comfortably vulnerable and willing to talk and decompress and there's no judgment, uh, they realize it actually takes more guts and strength to do that alone. Um, And the horses are a great avenue to do that because you can take, you know, someone like myself, or um, challenge me first. Uh, don't limit me. I want to, if you limit me, I probably won't have anything to do with you. Um, So, that part of it was with war horses, was with these individuals. I wanted to make sure if they wanted to do something to even kind of a crazy level, we could say, Yeah, we can do it. Let's just figure out the process and get you there um, and overcoming those obstacles and those fears. And within that, there's a lot of healing, um, a lot of fear, a lot of, but you regain that confidence. So, um, Similar things that what happens with people. Um, I kind of made some adjustments in my life, uh, talked to some buddies, and then I, I actually forgave myself on a three-mile run, training for a triathlon, and that was the beginning of War Horses. And that's really kind of when I say it. What it began is when that day, when like you can't control, when you understand you can't control whatever happened, and what it was. There's no good or bad. It's just that's what happened. And at the end of the day, you forgive yourself. No more guilt um you're not no shaming yourself things like that you let go of all that um you can really move forward uh and think forward in your life and that i think that was a pretty substantial point in my um stepping stones to developing war horses
0: Wow. that's amazing patrick thanks for sharing all that because i i think you're absolutely right when we talk about stigma i think that's really the biggest barrier for why people um don't want to reach out for help and so i think you've explained um, how your program and working with horses does a really good job of, of helping to break down those barriers. And so if you don't mind kind of transitioning now, you, you already kind of started talking about it, but how did War Horses for Veterans come, come into existence? I know that you, uh, you talk about on your website, who you have some co-founders. So talk a little bit about that for the listeners, if you don't mind.
1: Well, I, um, you know, I was kind of, I was developing the program over a period of time and Prior to meeting, you know, Andy, Andy and Patricia Brown, I was piecing together like an opportunity to, uh, you know, I've had amazing owners, amazing um, clients that were pretty, I was sitting at a show in Kentucky, and I was like, man, this is amazing. I have these amazing individuals in front of me, very, you know, very accomplished, well-to-do, good-hearted, um, hard-working. I so, said, you know, th- I, want, I wish, you know, veterans had the same opportunity I had right now. This would be awesome. This would just be awesome because outside of the horses, though, as you know, is um, providing those avenues of mentorship, guidance, uh, direction Mm -hmm. is really, really important. You're going to have many mentors in your life. It's not going to just be one or two. So uh, this was important to me that, you know, that, you know, I started kind of piecing things together. So a few years later, I, you know, Andy Brown had a stallion that they were having problems with and a woman at the time that was managing his operation I had worked with one of her show jumpers and, you know, had you know, what fix it or whatever you want to consider it. And she says, hey, I think I, we have a problem with stallion. I want you to work on. I'm like, oh, I'm good. You know, I had plenty of business, plenty of work. I was happy with where I was and where we we're going uh, with our company. And they're like, no, I think you need to come down and check this horse?" So, that, you know, money's not an issue. I was like, well, it's not about that. I just don't, I don't need to. I, I'm good. I, said, I, I think you and the owner would get along real well. I'm like, okay, whatever. And the, the funny thing was, is three weeks before meeting Andy, I had a talk with my father. And I said, Dad, ain't I, I need a mentor. Um, I, I'm, I'm craving a mentor. And then it was three weeks later, my dad was like, oh, I understand. You know, he had a really good one that was for, uh, he's a physician. He had an amazing, amazing founding father of uh, some of the hospitals here in Kansas City that was, mentored my father. And my dad was like, no, I know, I understand. And a few weeks later, I met Andy Brown and andy brown is a big hearted loving. i mean he he'd do anything for you he has a huge heart he has no filter um and so he's he's a pretty comical guy but he puts everything on the table he'll do anything for you um and we met <clears throat> and it was I, I won't use the words that we had to schedule but it was interesting and 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 we had a dialogue back and forth and yeah, i was working one of his horses and he uh He he kind of just said, you know, who the hell are you? And I said, who the hell are you? And he says, I own this damn place. And (laughs) I was like, I think this guy's going to be great. You know, and we hit it off. He played rugby. I played rugby. Uh, We had a lot in common. Our personalities actually are very similar. And, you know, they were in a very different field and horses. And I, you know, something was a calling, you know, there's a purpose on it. And uh, we built a relationship and then we shifted and basically he hired me off the market. You know, in a way, and then soon after I got into fixing and working on, you know, our program and redeveloping the business there, we sat on the front porch and he says, "I want to help veterans." I said, "Well, what the hell do you mean by that?" And he goes, "Uh, "No, I want to to help because he's employed vets. He's done a lot for veterans. He's always had a passion to help veterans." I was like, "Well, I have a, I have an idea. I know it will work," and told him. And thirty minutes later, he says, "Get it started." And he says, "Well, you know, well, I said, give me two years, proof of concept, third one, I'll let everyone and their mom know. And then the third year, that's when we, you know, we we're on Megan Kelly, Today Show and stuff like that. And we, we launched it that way. And it was very, very fortunate, very blessed to have uh, the people in our lives and people in my life that uh, helped us. You know, they, him and his wife, Patricia, have been influential and in supporting and to evolve. Because any business, I don't care if it's a nonprofit or not, I mean, you have to have the founding um, backing and support and people and it's not just from a financial standpoint, emotionally and mentors and education because um, I think one of the things with nonprofit is is um, I, I've noticed is they they look and it's important that role that nonprofits have they fill a gap in society. At the end of the day, it's still a company, you know, it's, it's a business. If you don't run it right, it's not going to last. It won't stay around. And so having them around and having the, their support and, and anything with horses. I'll tell you right now, and if we're going to do it right, Andy has mentality is: if we're going to do it right, we do it right. Um, I have the same mentality. You know, if we're going to go in, we go all in. We don't just do it, you know, you know, half lit. So we knew this would be a very expensive endeavor. Anytime you put horses involved with anything, it's expensive. Uh, but it was important that we made sure that we have horses of quality at different levels so individuals can work from a basic level to advanced. Um, the thing I wanted to make sure for the veterans out there, and now first responders that they're not limited in what they can and can't do, because with PTS, uh, with anxiety, depression, especially anxiety um, can be very debilitating. You could be the strongest person in the world. You could be seen as this powerhouse. And then the moment that anxiety comes in and grabs a hold of you and you don't understand how to work with it. You don't know how to tame it, troll it. Um, it can drop you right down to the knees and paralyze you, um, you know, emotionally. So, I think that's important. And then as long as you create this positive, supportive environment to help people work and regain those confidence, regain those abilities, every single one of them have, you know, amazing attributes and things that can be brought back to the surface. It's not that it's lost, it, you know, and it's not there. It just needs to be, you know, basically brought, I would say, like, come back on true north and help those individuals get there. And and we're and I've always said we're not like a kumbaya touchy feely. We're not going to hold hands. We're not going to skip in a field full of flowers around horses. That's just not our deal. Um, I do love yoga. I think yoga's is great. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I I, I think it was uh, I'm catered to a certain clientele base, and it's it's been very beneficial. It's worked really well for us.
0: Well, and I just want to clarify that we don't skip hold hands and run in a field when we do yoga. By the way. <laughs>
1: you have goats climbing all over
0: you yeah Uh, i've never been to goat yoga um uh,
1: but you know good for them
0: (laughs) yes so all of that is wow that's amazing so three weeks before you you meet your co-founder you tell your dad hey i need a mentor and like lo and behold three weeks later all of this starts to unfold that's that's pretty amazing
1: yeah, and I still hadn't gone all over the country downsizing the operation. We had 38 horses on the property. We still had a for-profit that we're working and we're, we're running, and and we start. I drove. I started the nonprofit by driving all over the country at the same time. I was doing auctions. I was doing all this stuff and juggling to start the nonprofit. Like any other business, you know, and when you start, it's just you, and maybe one other person, and you're the janitor and you're the CEO.
0: You said it took a couple of years before things got got started, officially started, I mean, not the behind-the-scenes work you're talking about. What what year was that, and when did War Horses officially become into existence?
1: 501C3 was established in 2014, right around September, October. Uh, first veteran that came through was 2015. And then soon after that... Uh, we reunited uh, two Vietnam veterans, and I want to make sure I bring this to light too. Is that the Vietnam era veteran was important to have involved with our organization because those individuals are who we looked up to, who we read about. We, I mean, it's we inspired to do. I mean, like, like these guys, I was like, I mean, I read these stories. Holy smokes, these guys are amazing. Um, but you know, think about how they were treated when they came home, things like that, and they still haven't. You got know, to realize, like they they just went to work and. I had never really dealt with any of that. So uh, we reunited two individuals, Gary Llewellyn and Lloyd Pittman. The, Lloyd Pittman was Gary's door gunner. Gary Llewellyn was a scout pilot in Vietnam, first of the ninth calf. Lloyd was 75th Rangers. I was part of the LERPS teams back then. Uh, amazing individuals. And then Gary became a very influential part of our program. I met him, you know, shoot right in late, late 2015, early in 2016. And we reunited them. It would have been like 48 years since they had seen each other.
0: Wow. Um, how did you, how did that come to be? How did you decide to get those two together?
1: Through friends, uh, through my family. And then Gary came down and met me. And we kind of hit it off. You know, we just had a lot in common. And then I asked him, I said, do you have someone that you would like to connect with or someone from Vietnam? I said, we'll take care of it because we pay for everything. You know, we pay for fly everyone in. It cost them a dime. And we make sure they're a good fit for us and we're a good fit for them. And." We brought them together. It was a, like, it's amazing. It's still the story of, of having them together and seeing them together. Because they had an incident in the air that then they had to hurry up and get back to the AO. And then that was the last time they saw each other. And Gary had to go to the hospital. Um, so the, you know, and, and then his service was over. And so they never had closure from that. So there's a lot of closure that you get. If you can reunite, that's why there's programs where you do your reunions. There's, it's really important because there's a there's a closed chapter. Um, and then, you know, the bond you make over in combat is like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so when we brought them together, it was amazing. And then from that, it, it led us to bring other um, Vietnam veterans together. And we brought a group of 75th Rangers uh, LERPs teams together. And that was extraordinary. It was like having the History Channel um, uncut, unfiltered. And it was uh, a true honor to, you know, bring them together and do the amazing and spend time with those guys. Um, because at the same time they can help us, you know, prevent us going down the same rabbit holes that themselves or their buddies went through or the things they've seen over the years. So that's been very, a, a very, uh, fortunate event COVID last year, obviously put a strain on bringing, cause we finished the building. We wanted to bring, um, do a big reunion and bring a lot of the Vietnam veterans back and bring some new ones and let them share the new space at the same time, get them together, get them to heal together. And it's made a big difference. And so that's always been something part of the mission is always to get back to the Vietnam era and support the uh, individuals that fought the wars ahead of us.
0: That is so cool because it makes me think of so many things. But um, when it comes to first responders, since that's my background, I think a lot of times we tend to forget, even though we're having these conversations a little bit more regularly now about healing and PTS and TBIs, um, there's all these people from before that none of didn't get the benefit of this type, these types of programs or, or even having this type of conversation. Um, I've had a few people approach me that are both 40 year law enforcement veterans after taking a class of mine, where we talk about some of the stuff and they said, they've never heard about any of this before. And they wish they would have had uh, information and access to programming and resources. So I think it's outstanding that you are, you are giving back to those that served before us. Uh Oh, I mean,
1: absolutely. I mean, we wouldn't, we, without them, we wouldn't have had what we have. So it's so a, cool. You don't forget that. Um, we always hear it too. You hear, you know, I wish this, wish we would have had this when we were, um, you know, back in the day. But at the same time, like, well, I mean, you have it now, you know, just because you're older doesn't mean it's not effective. Um, and like you said, for first responders, I mean, that you've got a, a group of individuals that are really behind with things. There's a lot of focus on veterans. And now there's so much has happened, and there's a lot of positive progression. I think with what I've seen, me not being a first responder, but supporting and you know us providing this location and this in this op- awesome opportunity with it, um, I, I think they're making leaps and bounds pretty quick. I, I just it's going to take some old timers, some old thinking, some styles, culture, a lot of culture mm-hmm. change. Um, Definitely, they, I think it's a. There's not one military veteran, the special operation guys we work with, and everything else that doesn't have extreme respect for the first responders every single time we bring it up we're like oh my gosh i'd re- like all day long send me in a combat i, I can go do combat operations but what the first responders and what they need to have to do on a daily basis because it's in their backyard it's their own people it's things of that nature that's a whole different ball of wax and so i have a, an immense amount of respect and and you know obviously learning you know empathy emotional intelligence too is is important to you know, empathize with what's going on, and then at the end of the day, you, you take care of your own. That's why it's important to have, you know, people that understand or participants that understand what they've been through. So for combat veterans, you know, it's kind of an unspoken deal. Uh, same thing for first responders. Bringing in Jason Kleepack, he's a, you know, he was in the army. Uh, he's a veteran himself, and obviously, he's a, you know, police officer, and you know left the force and to come over and really leap and take this on and, you know, launch the help me launch the first responder program and done a phenomenal job uh, last year. Really initiated, I think uh, two years ago from March, this March, you know, he's been with us. And then prior to that, he, about a year of um, volunteering and being a part, he just drove onto the property. Um, and that actually the guy who works for us that manages the farm, gave him a heart attack because he thought it was in trouble. Um, but you know, there's no reason he does great things, but, uh, called Jason and he came back and we just kind of talked it off and and then it just evolved from there. And then he really educated me a lot on the needs and what's going on. And I was pretty blown away on um the lack of for first responders. That's what blew my mind.
0: So just to kind of back up a little bit, um you obviously start out this program is for veterans and then you you stumble upon this guy who's at the time on duty working in uniform in his patrol car coming onto your property, correct?
1: Yes, yes. And okay. with all the vets that we've had, some, a lot of our fire or police that we've flown in, um, it was just like a building block. And then Jason drove on the property, and I was like, well, this must need to happen.
0: Right. And, w- and when was that? Just to give me some idea well, of how long ago this started? That'd be
1: 2017, 2018. 2018, okay. he came in. So, and then 2019 you know, and 2020. Um, coming into that we you know we 're starting the building we 're starting to get things rolling um, building the platform for the first responders and honestly it 's a very close mirror to what we what we do with uh with veterans but uh the first responder schedules are kind of crazy, so we had to accommodate and work with that a little bit so we 've got a very you know variety of different things, but we initiated. Jason really kicked off the first responder one days last year. We wanted to have something to contribute to help out, and then obviously with the incidents of last year and what happened with between COVID, the protests and stuff like that, the amount of stress that was put on them, we kicked open the doors and we're like, let's figure this out, and we just started running one day workshops all the time. So you
0: started out with a longer program with the veterans. Is that is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they
1: would fly in. uh, Yeah, three to four days. Um, you know, now, you know, it's, it started like I set it up as a three day clinic, um, because I taught three day clinics all the time. So you understand though, like you're working and you're learning and you're doing spending 12 hours a day, and then you still have food, you have other times you have to work. So it's a pretty long day. Um, mm-hmm. so you got, you know, two to three, sometimes four days, um, extensive, and there's a lot of reflection, obviously that comes with that. And you, and you learn a lot about yourself. So. Moving the first responder side of things, we had to accommodate schedules. Uh, there was challenges from that standpoint. Not, not a lot of them can leave. I mean, they don't, they don't take a lot of time off, and they usually do too much overtime. So, uh, it's a common, common theme I've noticed. Mm-hmm. So, yes. you know, I think over the years, just doing the one days, and then eventually the departments were just blown away. I mean, because over 14, 15 agencies now, you know, they'll send the people out on, on like, you know, on duty, and they get to the, come out for the whole day. Um, Just getting that introduction and breaking that up. But then within that, we have the help of Jennifer Haska and some of the other professionals out there to where we've been able to integrate some other types of programs that accommodate certain needs that have been incredibly effective. And so it allows the biggest thing I've noticed over the years is you've got to understand those. You you need to make it flexible. You make it too rigid of um, of a program, uh, technically, depending on the dynamic of it. But then it's not really their weekend or is it their time? Uh, it's your agenda. Um, there needs to be a discuss. What's the outcome? What are we looking for success and structure of that? Obviously, but you, you need to be able to. You need to allow them to breathe. Um, so it's just like the military and it's just a lot of time law enforcement. There's a lot of structure to it. Well, sometimes that's a problem. You know, we got to like go with that. Um, it's okay not to have everything perfectly laid out. Um, uh, let things flow. Let things come into play. Um, there is a curriculum. There is structure behind it, but you better have A, B, C, D, E, and F lined up. In right away when A and B didn't work, um, and I've talked to many veterans that have gone to different programs that are really really good. They just you know it was they were trying to squeeze so much in such a period of time. So then my my question was is well is it really for you or is it for the individual putting it on? And that would be the question to ask. So you want to provide this, up, you want to share this. Then a the day it's their weekend, it's their day, it's their five days, it's their seven days, it's their time. So So
0: you kind of let them guide how things go in a way.
1: In a way we structure, I mean, there's, we, we guide it. We roll it. There's, I mean, there's a purpose, purpose, place, and time for everything, but you have to be willing to read body language. You have to, you're going to have a lot of information before they come in. Is there physical limitations? If there isn't um, personality traits, um, different things like that. So you'll have an understanding of how they receive and give information. uh, If that makes sense. So, you know, over a three or four day, you know, intensive program at the end of the day with group A, our outcome is did they decompress? Did they well, if you say reflect? Did they get clear ahead? Now from that, are we moving forward with a different mission in different direction in a more positive manner? And then you have your follow-ups and everything like that with another group. It may be, I mean, their hypervigilance is just through the roof. I mean, and so within hours with working horses, you always see like within hours, it drops drastically anxiety drops drastically Uh, until I don't care what program you go to until you get them to drop that shell and to drop all that. It's going to be very hard for them to be receptive to trainings, classroom work, all that stuff, because they're just going to blank out. They'll see right through it and they're not going to receive. So they're not even receptive to that information. And so like, even if you want to introduce yoga, you want to meditation. Um, a lot of participants, I'd be like, you know, hey, you, if I go up to them, I'm real direct with some of them. I'm like, you can't even move. Your hips don't even move. I said, I expected to even do this, this, and this. And they're like, you know, well, I can do it. And then they get out, and I'm like, well, why don't you try some yoga? Well, I'm not doing yoga. I'm like, well, it actually works. And I said, if your joints feel good, your mobility feels good, and you're able to do it. I said, your brain feels good. I said, you'd be surprised what your your body will do. My wife got me into yoga. Um, actually in the early stage of our, our, uh, relationship, we had just met no four. I had only been home for a little bit and my knees sounded like rice krispies. My joints hurt, my body hurt. And she's like, why don't you just go to yoga with me? And I'm like, I'm not going to yoga. You're out of your mind. She goes, there's really pretty women. And I go, I'm going to yoga. And we went and, um, I, it was really hard. I, it was really challenging for me. And I got a lot out of it. And so Teaching breathing, meditation techniques, stuff like that. To be a great horseman, um, man or woman, on that side, you're going to have to learn to breathe. you can't breathe, you can't control your emotions, and then that controls your environment and your energy. So that's uh been a really fascinating journey. The past, even just the past couple of years, and learning more about that type of techniques um, and things like that. Like we talked with Kim, was you know, everyone's going to be for different programs, different needs, different deals. But at the end of the day, we're trying to Get them to just can you be present? Can you be can you have peace in your mind and you be okay with the past and move forward with the future? And and then honestly, just you know, enjoy life. Challenge yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if someone listening is interested in coming to War Horses and they whether they're a veteran or a first responder, I know there's some some different offerings. Do you have to fill out an application or how would somebody go about doing that? Because you also mentioned some paperwork and having some information about people ahead of time before they come through.
1: Yes, um, you, you, there's an application process. Uh, we're actually in the process right now of actually uh, putting together a new website. Uh, we're updating everything. So like the first responder program, you know, you can, you would go to uh, Jason at whfb.org and you would reach out to Jason. and. With Brett Court right now, back on, he's on board now, With we brought on for director development and support with the first responder because of the demand. Um, those two work together a lot with, with that program, which has been great. Um, those two would handle the first responders a lot. Uh, with the veteran side, I have a, you know, we have an additional team, and those individuals, uh, Brett and Jason are a part, and they help out when available for that, in case, depending on influx. Um, so at whfe.org, you go to the website, you can hit apply. Or you can, a lot of times, we're going to have a new process to where you actually inquire about it. And then I'll, I'll hop on the phone with you. We'll kind of do like an interview, you know, and make sure what you're looking for. And if it doesn't, if we're not a fit, it's not a big deal. We'll find another program. We'll find other things you can do. Um, it's not the end of the world. Uh, right now, we're in the process of doing something called, it's a brand new program. It's called War Horses for Soft uh, for Special Operations um, Community. It's, it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. so it's a it's really good cool. opportunity it's a big honor for us and we actually have our first group coming in april uh, last year with dod stuff got shut down so a lot of these guys are, are and men and women are active and so we're trying to if we can can we get involved with them before they get out can we help with that transition so we can plant that seed and then snag up some of the ones that dig out afterwards so then those are that's one of the more of the agendas for that we've got a great team there we've got a tactical psychologist that comes in on each time for those groups it's pretty in depth, so that will be up. So if you're a special, you're part of the special uh, special forces community, SOCOM, the whole JTAC, everything, you can apply through that process as well. And then for the veteran community, reach out at info at whfe. and we'll get back with you. We'll be posting some specific special workshops through the year. Um, unfortunately, with the demand of the program, we're we're limited on what we we can and can't do. You know, obviously, and then we're ramping up from COVID and all that, so. But you will see some amazing leaps and some amazing growth within Warhorses over the next couple of years.
0: You guys have an amazing facility I got the opportunity to visit. And the thing that, that kind of struck me about it is that um, besides the fact that it's beautiful and it's a really great facility, there's some other things that you guys are doing that's pretty cool, Some some follow-up programs. And one of the things I want to make sure people know about you specifically is is your mad culinary skills and how you incorporate that in into this whole philosophy of what you guys are doing there
1: uh food is important <laughs> uh food drives an army uh, if you want to you want to take over and conquer you gotta feed and, and you want to you know get in the belly you know i would say but breaking bread common ground um it's it's i call it the switzerland of operations you know so and you can take so many different diversities and uh disagree on every platform but you can come over and agree over a food or a plate or a meal. And so cooking it has been like a therapy for me. It's an outlet for me. It, you, you have a beginning and end and you, and you learn to create something wonderful that people can enjoy together. Uh, the idea of the culinary program was is after each day you cook with a chef or you have a chef prepare. So it's an option. It's not everyone wants to cook, but they love to eat. Um, but there's a lot of individuals that, you know, they'll come up and be like, Hey, I, I really enjoy cooking. And I'm like, We'll whisper about it, but that's cool. It's okay, you know. Uh, but it's what, what we've noticed too is, there's individuals that learn to start, you know, it's like we teach a trade. We're horses, I kind of go back to it is, is you come in. I'm going to teach you horsemanship. In the backside of it, yeah, you're getting there's a lot of there, there's a lot of things you're going to get. But in the end of the day, the root of it, if you really take this, you can provide meal and can feed your family. You can put a roof over your head with this um, culinary skills. You're creating a trade. Uh, you can, you know, uh, cook for your family. We notice that it, you know in society, we're not cooking with our families as much. We're not eating at tables together as much. So it's really important to try to encourage that. But after a day of working together, whatever you learn, whatever you embrace that day, and you sit down with an amazing meal. And I'm not talking like you're just eating the average meal. You're eating some ridiculous food. Um, you hit all your senses, but it, and from a psychological standpoint, it's going to help you ingrain that experience. You'll remember what you experienced that day. And like you came that that, that day with Tim, it was awesome. I, I love hosting people and having meetings with them and we're cooking together. So you sat there while I cooked and we talked, discussed, chat with everyone. That's um, unique. Not, a very, not every day you get to go to a professional kitchen. It's not it's like it's a really nice kitchen. Yes, it incredible is. Incredible supporters and <laughs> chefs that helped make this happen and Greg Oliver that helped design it. Um, it's, it was, uh, I just, it, we just love doing it. And then, you, you know, eating a good meal. And within the programs you'll see in the future, you'll see a lot of more nutrition. Get involved, and you're going to learn how to cook for yourself because I think that's one of the problems. We could do a lot of these wonderful things for the mental health side of things, but let's get real. At the end of the day, if you don't change certain habits, if you aren't willing to be the change, and diet is, unfortunately, everyone, uh, diet is really important, and you're going to change with age. So knowing what your gut health and all the understanding your body is going to be really important. Uh, Your mental state does improve. Um, It's scientifically proven it's just a matter of when it comes down to it, is discipline and willing to make that change. It's hard. Change is scary, but at the end of the day, it's
0: necessary. Yeah. There's a whole field of, of science. It's nutritional psychiatry, which talks exactly about what you were just referring to and, you know, eating fast food versus eating, um, salmon Brussels sprouts and salad prepared by Patrick, uh, two vastly completely different experiences and how much better for your body, um, so, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's awesome that you guys are doing that. And then when I visited, I had heard about some other things that you guys are working on, follow-up programs, transition programs, mm-hmm. um, wellness programming. Can you speak a little bit about what you guys are offering there?
1: Right. Uh, transitions always been a very important part of it. Um, there's a lot of good companies out now that have really stepped up and helped with military transition. But what I found out last year was is the first responders don't have a transition program, mm-hmm. okay. um, which is pretty baffling. So I, I think anybody that's, you know, has those connections from resume for connections to, uh, helping narrow that gap. And, um, just like many of the military guys and men and women, um, and the first responders, your visions about that big about of what's out there. Um, so it's important that within these, like with our organization, that will be involved in this, uh, transition program is, you know, what are the needs and, and, and sitting down with people who run, uh, CEOs, presidents of companies, um, recruiters, you know, People who write resumes, just the network um, and understanding how to utilize the network and, and learning a little bit more about yourself. So we have these assessments. We have different ways to kind of figure out what are going to be some of the things that will energize you. Uh, not so much important about how much money you need to make right away. What's going to energize you? Because you can make a lot of money, but be miserable. And at the end of the day, uh, going from the job that you're, you're in and how does that translate over to another? Um, it's a corporate company or starting your own business. Entrepreneurship is always something that's um, it's very cool. Very it's stressful, but it's cool. Um but at the end of the day with with transition there, health and nutrition will be evolving that. Um, you know, we've got buddies, we've got things that we're gonna be doing more and more and stepping that up with nutritional chefs, classes, workshops. I like fitness, I like challenges, so you'll you'll be seeing more of that. Uh, a lot of the it's funny to watch the guys, they'll they'll give me crap. Like I do ice baths, I like free, I love breath work. I like doing I like Wim Hof. You know, I like stuff like that. So I think it's important that we're always challenging ourselves and exposing ourselves to something new.
0: Yeah, Just- I uh, I also recently started to do that. I don't do ice baths, but I have experimented with cold showers. And at first I I thought it was crazy. I didn't know what the intention behind it is. But then when you learn that you're stressing your nervous system in a positive way um, and you kind of understand the why behind it, which I think is so important for the for our culture. Um, it makes so much sense. And then it works, it does. It works. Absolutely. Especially if you have inflammation or chronic pain, I know that it's helped yes. me a lot with low back pain. Um, yes. so yes, I, I couldn't yes. agree more. I'm a, I'm a cold shower slash ice bath wannabe <laughs> that's on the, on the radar for me.
1: It's, you know, uh, it does inflammation of the body. Um, and then on top of the inflammation of, you know, what you put in your body, food and stuff like that, but definitely the showers stimulates, you feel better. I love the one of the best uh, things I ever heard was like if you're really depressed, jump in a tank of ice or get in a cold shower. You aren't usually depressed after that, and, and there's a and there's a simple science, I mean, a simple breakdown of that. And like I said, your neural, your neural system and the way your body is triggered and the, what it does to your brain. I mean, it just fires it up. And then when you leave, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel really good. I'm cold, but awesome. Like I feel really good. And you know, it's just a, I, I agree. There's a reason why top performers. People, if you read books, you read, uh, they can say, I hate the cold shower, but I love it because when I'm done, I feel amazing.
0: Yes. Yeah. So just to be clear, if somebody comes to War Horses, you are not going to make them go into an ice bath, correct? No,
1: no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. We are going to be hosting some different uh, workshops of the year. My b- brother, you know, Will Hood, that is a big a part of our program that teaches e-colors and some of the other um, programs. He's a retired 0- 06 from the Navy chaplain. Uh, we'll be doing some workshops, probably with some Wim Hof stuff, some different types of breathing techniques. But very cool. It's 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 awesome. Some people will say you're nuts. And then, then then the next thing you know, they try it. And they're like, OK, I see why you do it. I'm like, I
0: told you. <laughs> well, what's really neat is that, you know, you're offering so many different things and different things are going to kind of reach or speak out to to different people.
1: Absolutely. Um, the horses are I feel the horses are one of the most unutilized tools and they're starting to get notoriety of it um but there's so much you can get from it um so if you just do the ground stuff that's fine but when you get on their back you're vulnerable you take it to the next level you're even more vulnerable the more vulnerable you can be the better off you're going to be uh because that's the more you have to let go and and be comfortable with and in one moment you can do that it's like an elephant stepping off the moment you're able to do that mm-hmm. um i always tell the guys like you know be the change and at the same time you know you know if nothing changes nothing changes so you know, if it, I always think in my head, I was like, if it scares me and it's hard, it's not going to cause too much, too much bodily harm. It's not going to affect my family. I said, I probably should do it. And so that's kind of just my way I look at things.
0: Yeah. And that's a that's a really great philosophy because um, you can't grow unless you're a little uncomfortable. That's right. Kind of right. one of my mottos, too. So as, as we wrap up here, I just want to make sure I, I bring up something you talked about earlier, which is mentorship. So you already talked about the mentorship and that piece, what you're doing for transition for first responders and military who are leaving their career or who have already, who who have already left it. But you also, um, meant you yourself seem to mentor people, other nonprofits, because I know recently. Um, there's a nonprofit that's just starting out as well, which is all about surfing, kind of the same or similar concept with that self-efficacy, teaching a new skill. And so if you don't mind just talking a little bit about how um, how that works and you guys help the host a fundraiser and and why it's important to you to do things like that.
1: Um, I think if you don't share knowledge or share experiences, you're it's a very selfish act um, because I um, mean, you sh- the ultimate goal is to empower others and see them, you know, and it's like, what's the definition of success? And I would say seeing others succeed through what you've, you know, what you've created. Um, it's, it's an awesome experience. So meeting Rob Anderson with, uh, well, I was about over a year and a half ago, uh, sitting down with them, bounce stuff off. I immediately got his vision, understood it. Um, I like the ocean. I love how the ocean um, humbles you. Horses humble you fast, it's really fast. Um, At the same time, the ocean does too. You are smaller than a speck of sand when you're in the ocean. And so I think that's really healthy for people. At the same time, there's such a beautiful connection because there's a lot there's connection to nature. There's a healthy challenge to it. Uh, There's all these things that are very fulfilling. Um, And and you don't think about other things. I mean, you're focused on the environment and you're in at that time. So your hypervigilance does come down. But you still have to overcome your anxieties and self-doubt, things like that. But when you do and you have a support group around you to do that with, it's like I always say, you don't clear an obstacle by yourself. You you know, if you're going to go in and breach a a building, you're going to do it as a team. You don't go by yourself. And even then, it's still scary, but you feel really good because you got your team behind. Uh, It's the same concept. So being able to get back and sit down and talk with Rob and see that come forward and then making our facility available. Because at the end of the day, I was, you know, we always say is like, this isn't mine. This is ours. Um, the building is to be shared. It's, it was built to share. So for Rob and everyone, for us to come together and sponsor people to go on these trips as Swell, uh, it's always been important to work with other nonprofits and work with other teams. And, you know, Rob's got a great mission. Um, I believe in it. I, I went on, I think, yeah, I went on the first trip with him, what we did in California. And that, that was a blast. I didn't have, like, I got to run like an Energizer Bunny. I got up super early. I could surf all day. I could destroy my shoulders. It was awesome, you know. And, and we we cooked, but at the end of the day, just uh, just just share the struggles. And hopefully, each time you do that, you can you can hopefully make it easier for each individual that's creating something like this or running a business, nonprofit or profit. Um, you can don't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, help them try to get to where they need to get a little quicker. Uh, there's, it's not the easiest thing, but at the same time, it's a very rewarding, very fulfilling thing to do. So it uh, is it a true honor. I, I love working with Rob. I'm incredibly excited to see with everything that's coming out with Swell. I'm going to be going on some trips, um, helping them out. We'll sponsor some people. We'll raise, some, we'll raise funds and help you know, veterans and first responders. And hopefully we'll integrate the Swell within the SOFT program, too, which I think will happen here in the future, near future. So I'm, I'm super excited to see what happens with that.
0: Well, Patrick, you and um, your team, you guys are doing such great things for veterans and first responders. And I'm glad that you got an opportunity to share that um, because I just don't think that um, that we can do enough for our first responders and our military. And I really appreciate everything that you do. One one last opportunity. So if somebody listening is interested. In either donating to War Horses or interested in visiting your program, can you just kind of one more time let us know how to do that? Yeah,
1: you can go to uh, WarHorsesForVeterans.org or WHFB.org. There's donate buttons all over that thing, um, and at the same time, you can reach out to me directly at Patrick at WHFB.org, and happy to help out. Let, you know, we do run this by donations through you know everyone from the country um, from one five dollars and up. Um that's how we're able to have the flexibility to do what we do. So we're very fortunate and we, you know, any support is fantastic and we, we take care of our own. We make sure our veterans and first responders are leading the front with working with these participants. So that's where the funds go is right to the people.
0: Excellent. Well, Patrick, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Take care. Take care.